Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Conrad, and this show is where we hear the real stories from real people changing the world. From everyday people to the top celebrities, all the conversations are real, raw, and always unscripted. Thank you for joining me today. Now let's get to today's guest. All right, everybody, welcome to Unscripted One-on-One and uh, first podcast that I've actually recorded in this brand new year. So uh, pretty excited about this one today and uh, have my good friend, Chris Mastin, my college roommate, uh, my my buddy, my brother, uh, probably my best friend in the world uh, to thank for this opportunity. But today I've got uh, Christian Chapman with me and uh, let me read this resume real quick. And uh, before we get started, because it, it is impressive. Uh, so Christian graduated from Southern Wesleyan University, where he had a scholarship in baseball as a baseball player, uh, later became a Hall of Fame member because of his accomplishments on the field, played baseball overseas as a missionary with Athletes in Action. He is a NASCAR chaplain, won the reality racing TV show on Spike TV. He was Wild World wide world of sports tv show while racing in the world's most dangerous race the baja 1000 in desert in the deserts of mexico he's authored two books testify and break down walls and is working on a third book now called the revenant he is a songwriter and a piano player of 30 years and has worked on a new album called songs of the heart and has three of his songs are currently on platforms today He's a campus pastor and church planner for Steel Creek Church in Charlotte, and most importantly, is married to Amy, of his wife of 32 years, and has three boys, Malachi, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. Christian, did I get it all right? <laughs> well, I am no longer a chaplain with NASCAR. I don't even know if they race anymore. Things are so bad right now, but uh, I used to do Bible studies at Joe Gibbs Racing and still do from time to time, but I used to kind of travel with the circuit and uh, share the gospel in the pits and break up fights and uh, get in there and talk to them about the New Testament and uh, kind of get them not to try and kill each other. So I don't do that anymore. My wife kind of pulled me back from on the road. I was a traveling uh, itinerant speaker for years with Kingdom Building Ministries out of Denver, Colorado. I think they're actually called Forge Ministries now. And I traveled for a living for, for years. I was a uh, 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 entertainment speaker, motivational speaker, uh, Christian festival speaker, revivalist, evangelist. So I traveled, was going 20 days a month for probably seven or eight years. And my wife, uh, between that and the NASCAR chaplain, she said, you're, you're missing your boys grow up. Right. So about six years, I came off the road and we started a church right down the road from our house. And uh, that's one of Steel Creek Church's uh, third campuses. And, uh, you know, when my boys get out next year, they'll all be in college. I got one in college and two more about to go. My wife and I will be empty nesters. And uh, we might plant another church. I think I got one more in me. I'm hoping <laughs> somewhere near the coast where palm trees and the waves crash. And uh, I get to wear jeans with holes in them and flip-flops and t-shirts and maybe get another couple of tattoos. I so, love it. No, I do too. I love it. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm honored to be here, what? bro. I'm honored to be here. Man, and I'm honored to have you. So you and I have never met before. Literally, if you're watching, listening to this, you're seeing our first time ever meeting and uh, if you're watching this, you're seeing my man is sitting in a studio right now. So this this is pretty. So if you're listening to this, please go to YouTube. And I'm not trying to to promote my own YouTube channel, but you got to see what this guy's setup is. I mean, normally people are sitting in their office or some nook or cranny in their house. My man is sitting in a full blown studio, keyboard in front of him. I mean, you look like you're ready to break out in song. So uh, yeah. this, is, this is probably the most uh, instruments I've ever seen on a, on one of my. <laughs> This is where I'm recording my new album right now at uh, Rick Ballantyne uh, Studios. He's uh, actually a score writer. He's done a lot of music for a lot of movies. Um, and um, he, he's just a, an incredible guy that kind of take you know, the things that God puts in my heart. He has a way of bringing it out with all this music. And uh, I got three songs that I'm very proud of. I got uh, five more to go. And um, I'm going to have a music album called Songs from the Heart. It'll be eight songs total. And uh, it's kind of Christian, but kind of not. I didn't want to label it Christian because as soon as you do that, you lose half the population in the world. Right. And so uh, I write about real subjects and uh, they're, they're, they're mainstream kind of uh, powerful songs that have to do with real life. 
but yeah. necessarily won't be straight about the Bible and about Jesus. But there's certainly songs that have a lot to do with life and how uh, the gospel can impact us in all kinds of ways. So that's kind of what the album is about. It's called Songs from the Heart. And this is kind of where I do it. Rick allowed me to come in here because the, I told you the only other room I got is my Clemson man cave at home. And I'm almost a little ashamed right now to have anybody see my orange, even though I got my purple going today. Uh, there was a thrashing, bro. And I heard you were from Ohio, so I wasn't about to do that. But then you tell me you're a Tar Heel fan, so it might have worked out. I don't know. That's right. We talked a little bit offline. And, and uh, you know, I don't know when people will see or hear this, but, um, yeah, that that probably wouldn't have played well in Ohio. So we'll, we, we won't yeah. promote that part of this in the podcast. And, again, I, I'm not an Ohio State fan. I'm a, I'm a Carolina fan. I'm an ACC fan. So yeah, yeah, I'm too. with you. I, I, I feel you for sure. So – um, but, but, and, and we'll get all the links before we click off because I want to make sure people check out your album and everything, but yeah, sure. When you sent me this today via text, um, I'm looking over this and I, what, what came to mind was, um, several years ago, I was in Nashville and you may know Carlos Whitaker. I don't know if you've heard the name, Carlos Whitaker, Los Wit. Uh, he's had a popular blog. The guy's done everything in the world. And when I looked at what you sent me, which, which is what I read off at the beginning, I, I was reminded of Carlos. And what I was reminded of is I met him several years ago in Nashville at a church and we were talking and I said, Carlos, how in the world have you done all this stuff? And he said the simplest thing to me. And that was, man, I just stepped into it. And when I, when you sent me your text with all these bullet points of, I mean, we're talking reality shows, we're talking racing um, playing baseball, writing songs, starting, they're, they're writing books, like a lot of these items, some people would wish to do once in a lifetime. And you've done multiple. And so my question is to you, similar to what I asked Carlos that day, what, what in the world inspired you to do this such a breath of things with your life to this point? And it sounds like you're not even done yet. <laughs> like you're just getting started. Yeah. What, what, what has inspired you to do so many things in your life? Well, uh, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with him. I, I certainly didn't step into it. Uh, to be honest with you, I married an amazing woman. And if it hadn't have been the right woman, I would have stepped into something else. Uh, <laughs> so for me, uh, I met my wife on a blind date when I was 18 years old. And she, we've been together 33 years, been married 32 years. And had I not had the wife I had, had God not sent to me a suitable helper, mm. as uh, Genesis uh, proclaims to be true, and I believe is true, uh, I would have never accomplished any of the things I've ever done. Because uh, wow. she had to support me and pray for me when I was racing on a motorcycle uh, in the Baja 1000 in Mexico. And, uh, but she's also tough on me too. Right. You know, she, uh, when, when I, I fail, in the Baja 1000 uh, and I broke my hand and I broke my arm and cracked my ribs and got knocked unconscious and woke up with some Latino man trying to give me some Jose Cuervo <laughs> to give me so I guess that's the cure-all in Mexico is Jose right. Cuervo. That's and, what I you mean, know, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't hang around in the desert and, and let people gather around you. You get up and you ride. And so people ask me all the time, how did you get up and ride in that kind of pain? And I'm like, well, I might not have made it out alive had I not kept moving. Wow. So uh, I finished my section. Uh, I got back to my hotel, took them 16 hours to medevac me out of the desert. And uh, by then my hand looked like a cantaloupe because I crushed my right hand, which is your throttle hand. And uh, I raced for another four hours like that. It was really painful. Wow. I get to my race truck, it took me six hours to get across the border. I finally got a signal on my T-Mobile phone. I called my wife and I said, baby, I'm, I'm hurt pretty bad. And she said, what happened? I said, well, I broke my hand. I'm pretty sure my arms broke. I can't breathe too good. I think I might've cracked some ribs and I got knocked unconscious. Um, I got a big dent in my helmet. So I know I got a head injury. I don't know what's happening. She said, well, you got three days to get home. You got to take the kids home to school on Thursday. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, wait a minute, girlfriend, time out. I, I got hurt here. And she said, well, nobody told you to go man up and drive back home. You got kids to take to school. So I literally <laughs> drove three days across the country before I even went to the doctor. So my wife has supported me, but she's also given me a little dose of reality, yeah. which is what a good spouse will do, right? right? And so in writing the books and being on that reality show where I had to be gone during the summer uh, with me traveling for seven years as a traveling evangelist, uh, her raising the kids by herself, 
um, with me writing the books and doing even doing music stuff in the studio. Uh, you know, my wife has been very supportive of me. One of the songs I wrote, um, Aaron, is called A Memory of You. Hmm. And this song deals with uh, what a man goes through when it deals lust. It's a modern day version, bro, of uh, David and Bathsheba. Okay. Wow. And so the song basically, I, I write by storyline. So just to tell you kind of how I write, I, I don't sit down just to write. I write when I hear a story or I have a dream. Like I was leaving the neighborhood a while back and I saw a girl, um, a 10 year old girl waiting to catch the bus. And there were about 20 other kids on the other side of the road ignoring her mm. and she looked so sad so i wrote a song about being bullied called mm. his love that god's love is greater than the lack of love that we get in the world so that's how i write so i had a dream about a guy that had a kid him and his wife had a kid and it was their first child he was at home for six months uh his wife felt like he had been very faithful helping her she said go out and hang out with your friends but the problem was his friends are all unsaved so they took him to a house party Mm. where everybody's drunk and drinking and dancing. There's two, 300 people. And he notices a girl. He notices that she notices him. She seduces him, leads him inside with her eyes, with that seductive look. He's watching her dance on the dance floor. And then it comes to him. Um, I'm either going to make the right choice and I'm going to leave with just the memory of what my flesh wants to do, or I'm going to actually commit what my flesh wants to do. And I'm going to throw my whole life away. So right. the song is called a memory of you. And I don't know how many wives, would let their husbands write a song like that, but it's a powerful song about no matter what, you, no, what, no matter what moment you get caught up in, doesn't mean you have to be a part of the moment. Mm. You can make the right choice and walk away from it. So my wife, when she heard the lyrics, I cleared it with her before I took it to the studio. And she said, are you doing okay? I said, I'm doing good. The song's not about me. It's just about a man's struggle. Right. And she completely endorsed it and supported it when other women are like, why would he write a song like that? but it's got a very good, powerful message about making the right choice, even though the enemy puts you in circumstances where you don't want to. Yeah. And so uh, just having the right wife in my life that has supported me and loved me and endured all these struggles with me has helped me accomplish. I mean, she truly is, bro, the example of what God meant when he said, I'm going to give you a helper that's going to help you do great things because she's going to partner with you and mm. you guys are going to do ministry together. She is the pure definition of that verse. Wow. So I would not have been able to do anything had it not been for God sending me my wife on mm. a blind date. Right. On a blind wow. date. Yeah. What a powerful testimony and what a powerful um, way to honor and respect your bride. Um, that that's incredible. And I, I think um, not even close to crushing my hand and breaking my arm in a motorcycle race, yeah. but even yeah. this podcast, right? I mean, I, I know I went to my wife a few weeks ago and um, I had just got some merch and some t-shirts and, you know, and it was the first time in my life that I had a vision and I've, I'm watching that vision actually become reality. And I went yeah. to her and I just took a minute to say, you know, thank you. Thank you for making dinner while I was recording a podcast with someone oh, yeah. or, or thank you for keeping the dog quiet, you know, because, you know, it, to your point, if we don't have that, that support and that vision, uh, we, we can't do what we want to do. And, and um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think oftentimes, and now we're really in a different area, but I think oftentimes as, as males, we, we chase our dreams and forget that our wives have dreams and visions too. Sure, and it's yeah. not just to make dinner and, and be with the kids, you know? And so um, what, a, what, a, what a great way to honor your wife. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And she, I have always tried to support her and love her through every dream that she has ever wanted to chase. Um, but to be honest with you, my wife, her dream was always to be a mother. Mm. That, that was her dream. And so uh, I have let her pursue that and asked her to pursue that and supported her in pursuit of that. And the, our, our three boys, Malachi, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, have the best mom mm -hmm. in the entire world. And I have done everything, even at times working two or three jobs, so she could be at home and do the thing that she loves most, which is love her boys mm -hmm. and be a good mother to her boys. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, God made us that way. It's amazing. I, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day about uh, a podcast that I did a, a, a few podcasts ago with with um, a, a gentleman that called me back to a position at one point that I was making triple figures when my kids were just being born. 
and it allowed yeah. my wife to stay home. And, and I got choked up when I was telling him about it because the reality is if, if because of his phone call asking me to come take this position, it allowed us financially um, for her to be home. And, and again, like, as I told him and as I, anyone listened to this, I'm not disrespecting anyone that works, you know, if, if both couples work and they can't be home, I, I have all the honor and respect for that. We yeah. were fortunate. We were blessed enough that my wife was able to stay home. And because of that, my kids are who they are today because she wrote early and often on their hearts um, and she poured into their faith and she poured into who they are as people. And my kids are who they are today, not because of me. They're because of what my wife was able to do and be home. And so I, I really, man, I really respect and appreciate that. Yeah. Well, she's, um, she got to a point though, where she was like, you know, now I want to be out and I want to go back to work. And she right. is a CVICU heart nurse. Wow. And she's a phenomenal nurse. And so th there's been this time in life where this is what she calls. I know some people are going to watch this and go, Oh, you went and raced and you was on spike TV and you wrote books and you're doing music. And you know, wh where's the fun been for her, but I have supported her and I have yeah. let her and encouraged her, not let her, but encouraged her and tried to stimulate that opportunity for her to just chase anything that she wanted to chase in life. Yeah. And she is doing very well. She loves being a nurse and, you know, She's taking care of a lot of COVID patients and um, some good situations and some bad. Right. Uh, but uh, she is an incredible woman that, you know, she and I, we went on a date last night. We go on a date once a week and we went to a Mexican restaurant in downtown uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we had a great time just talking about the things that she loves to do in life and the things that I've loved to do. And we're kind of talking about this next stage. What's it going to be like to be empty nesters? Yeah. You know? uh, I don't feel 52. <laughs> uh, I, I might look it. I got the blonde highlights going on. I don't know if it helps, but uh, uh, it's an interesting place that we're in. I wouldn't go back and do anything differently. Uh, and I'm looking forward, Lord willing, uh, to some really good things in the future as well. Yeah. And hopefully, prayerfully, Lord willing, that'll be with her. She's my best friend mm. and the love of my life. So I can't imagine anything without her. What, what a way to honor her. And I think, you know, God, God makes us um, it's interesting what you said too about, about the kids, because I, I think my wife is very similar in that, you know, her, for me, I, I've been quoted as being the king of restless and that, that I could, I embrace that. I've owned that oh, because, because yeah. I am as much like looking what all the things you've done in your life, I've stepped sure. into opportunities. I've stepped into dreams. I've stepped into goals. And honestly, I, and I don't want to say that my wife doesn't have those. She does, but her, her dreams and goals were to raise our three kids, uh, yeah early and often in a, in a Christ-filled home and have them love God and, and love people. And because of that, you know, that, and honestly, that's what makes her come alive. And I think as spouses, our goal is to make sure that our spouse, whether it's male or, you know, who, whichever yeah. side of the equation that's on, let's make sure that we're, we're making sure that they feel like they're alive. Um, and they, yeah. you know, I don't know, for me, that that's me speaking for our family. That's awesome. Right? And I, I love your name, Unscripted. And, you know, that could also be a name for the book of Acts as well, right? If there's yeah. ever a book that was unscripted, it was the book of Acts. And right. I'm a big believer in chasing that first step, you know, because people want to, it drives me a little banana sometimes when people try to put church in a box, you know, mm -hmm. they frame it up nice and they send it out to you and do this and you'll get all this. But I believe sometimes we're called to step out in faith even though we can't see the end result uh, or even know the plan in place and just step out in faith and believe in that. Um, it's kind of like uh, Philip, when he was called by the Lord to go down to Gaza, a desert region, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the history of that situation, he was having a thriving ministry take place in Samaria. And he was asked by God to leave a thriving ministry and step into the unknown in a desert mm -hmm. and just wait for an opportunity. And he had no idea what that looked like, but he fulfilled step one. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to step into this and I'm going to believe that you're going to do great things. And step two was, hey, see that chariot? Go walk beside of it. He didn't know anything else. He just went and walked. Step three, listen and wait for the opportunity. And mm -hmm. then step four, got baptized. Step five, the spirit led him somewhere else. Step six, seven, eight. I mean, it just continued to go, but it all started with an unscripted moment of I'm going to fulfill step one. To get to step two, three, and four, I got to do this thing in faith and step out in it and be radical with my life. We only have one life. I mean, the reason I'm wearing a coat right now is not because this is my normal attire for Wednesday afternoon. It's because I just buried one of the saints of our church. I just did a funeral. 
89 year old man that lived his life radically for the kingdom of God. And it was a celebration. Sometimes I do funerals and there there's mourning, there's pain yeah. yeah, because it wasn't time. And the way they went was not pleasant. Uh, but this man, it was a celebration because he lived his life radically every day. He followed an unscripted pattern of God. You provide for the sparrows of the air. So I know you're going to take care of me. And he literally, and that was part of my testimony about his life. He literally impacted the entire world for the gospel. He helped us dig water wells in the Congo jungle. He helped us plant a church in Haiti. He helped us plant an orphanage where we're taking care of 900 kids. He helped us plant a church in the Ukraine, Peru, Brazil, Guatemala, Nigeria. Uh, his life impacted the entire world. And it was because he kind of just believed in stepping out in faith, believing that God was going to fulfill the promise of tomorrow. And wow. so... Um, having my wife with me and being willing to step into the unknown and just know that God has a plan. Those, those two things, man, you're unstoppable. Mm. You're unstoppable. That's yeah. what I believe to be true. And I've seen that in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others as well. When I, I see that, when I look at the quote unquote resume of, of yeah, your yeah. Life, you know, yeah, I saw Kerry Joby's is... resume when you did Kerry Joby. I'm like, bro, there's no way I'm keeping up with that. Like what in the world? You're bringing me on first of the year right after her. Uh, but anyway, uh, God's done some cool things. But the cool thing is that, you know, for anybody, you know, some of the most powerful things, uh, you know, I, we, we live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I hear all the time that uh, Elevation Church mm -hmm. is the best church. It's the most amazing church ever. And I right. listen, they're, they're doing awesome things. But I, I believe the most amazing pastor in the city of Charlotte was a man that you have never heard of in your entire life. And most people have never heard of. When I was a traveling evangelist, Aaron, I would never leave town until I went to the Billy Graham Library. Right. I had the same yep. routine, bro. Yeah. I would always catch a plane a little bit after lunch. I always scheduled my planes to, to take off after lunch because I would go, I would walk through that 45 minute show about Billy Graham's life and I would weep the whole time. Mm. I would go and eat and have a, a meal. And then I would go to the library area where they sold books. And there was an old rocking chair there. And there was an old pastor that sat in that rocking chair and he would sing hymnals all day long and he would lay hands and pray for people. Wow. And I never left town until that old man laid hands on me and prayed for me. Wow. And I am completely convinced that a lot of the spiritual revival that happened when I took off out of town had to do with that old pastor's faithful prayer. He was a pastor, I think, of a Lutheran church in Charlotte with about 30 people for yeah. 70 years, yeah. faithfully, yeah. not to the thousands, but mm. to the few. And he was as faithful as any pastor I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. And little did he know that when he prayed for me, I would be in Canada, or I would be speaking in Mexico, or I would be in Durban, South Africa, or Johannesburg, or Cape Town, or I would be in Las Vegas, or I would be in LA, or I would be in Seattle, or Phoenix, or Texas, or Michigan, uh, or Atlanta, or Alabama, and all those places, I took that prayer that he would pray over me, and he would cry as he would sing a song of him and praise over my life. Uh, we, we live in a culture today where we make it all about the megachurch, but I'm telling you, man, the, the things that I have seen are those pastors Right. that just have mega faith uh, in circumstances where most people would just bail out, to right. be honest. Right. And so I am, I'm so thankful for the big things and the little things in life, no matter right. what that is, you know? No doubt. I, I think, you know, I, I think no matter in your life, there's people that impact you in ways and there's pastors that impact you. And as you said, it's and there's uh, this isn't a anything any any commentary on the mega church. Uh, the mega church is doing mega things, which is awesome. I mean, they're they're yeah. making heaven full. But um, to your point, I think it's a mom that prayed for you, a dad that prayed for you, uh, an old pastor that prayed for you, um, a friend that prayed for you. Those things are moving the needle uh, as much as as the mega church. They just don't get the mega advertising and they don't get the mega view. But um, at the end of the day, um, you know, there's there's people that prayed for me that weren't even maybe even a pastor, but they prayed for me in in my life. And because of that, I'm where I am today. Uh, my mom prayed fervently for as back to my speaking of our wives, my mom prayed fervently for the girl that, that I would marry one day 
not knowing her name or face. And now I'm getting a little choked up. Um, Amen. My, mom, my mom spent hours praying for my future bride when we didn't even know her name or what she looked like. And uh, because of that, I, I have a wonderful bride today, right? And, and I think uh, there's no, no diminishing the prayers, no matter who it comes from, no matter where it comes from, yeah. no matter how big or small, uh, prayer is powerful. And those that pray for us um, are, are special, no doubt. Yeah, I, I watched the, the, the uh, podcast and boy, you had an amazing mom. I'm going to tell you what, Incredible. I bet she was so proud of you, bro. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good stuff. Thank and, you. you know, and I'm not dismissing the mega church because, you know, honestly, bro, most of the stages I spoke at were, were thousands. I, I, you know, there were one stage was 30,000. Wow. A big Woodstock Christian festival in the in middle Kentucky. of Asbury Theological Seminary out there, you know, Kentucky. Uh, literally. In I, Kentucky. I landed in a plane and they picked me up with a car, dropped me off, and then they picked me up with a golf cart. And I'm riding through a sea of RVs yeah. as they take me to the main stage. Yeah. And so I'm not discounting any of that. But no. the one thing that I never want us to get away from, bro, is that the world was changed with 12 of the most unlikely rascals yep. that anybody could have ever chosen. 100%. And even Paul who probably had the greatest pedigree in the Bible, he had the, pedi- the the biggest opportunity to go and succeed with the Jewish culture, but God asked him to touch the Gentiles, which he had no knowledge or understanding of. And I completely believe it's because God is honored when we live in the weakness of who we are mm. and we submit how great he is through us. Mm. And, and so I, I love the fact that it just should give all of us great hope with who Jesus chose and who he used all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end in Revelations, the, the people that he chose are everyday, ordinary people, uh, not very extraordinary, but an extraordinary gospel living inside of them. Mm. I just don't want people to ever get away from that because sometimes we, we, we think greatness belongs to somebody else, you know? Right. And, uh, the perfect example. Uh, my youngest, my baby is 17, but he's not a baby. He's got a full beard and he's six, five, <laughs> right? incredible basketball player. He's got this girlfriend and my wife, we've, we've had rules, bro. We're, we're pretty, you know, we're, she's pretty dogmatic when it comes to them. They don't get to go on a date and be left alone. Mm. We just, we watch them all the way until they get out of the house. My poor son is 20. And when he comes home to visit <laughs> from college, we still watch him and his girl when they go out on a date. And so we just kind of dogmatic about that. And the other day I'm at the bowling alley with my son, Jeremiah and his girlfriend, and I get a little bit bored, so I text my wife um, a Trevor Lawrence comment. You know, they asked Trevor not too long ago on ESPN, I think it was ESPN, they asked him if, if he thought he was going to be remembered as the greatest college quarterback of all time. And he said, well, I hope not. I would rather be remembered as a man of integrity and a good teammate. I thought that was a really good comment. So I sent it to my wife, and my wife said, that's pretty amazing for 21 years old. I said, yeah, right. girl. I said, um, when the Holy Spirit's in you, I said, your words are timeless and uh, the power that lives within you is unstoppable and your future is eternal. Mm. I said, do you know what great theologian said that? And she said, C.S. Lewis, question mark. (laughs) I said, you're getting close. You're very close. Mere Christianity, the screw tape letters, one of the best authors of all time. I said, yes, again. She said, Charles Spurgeon. I said, woo. Come on, girlfriend. I said, the <laughs> prince of all preachers, the great English Baptist communicator of the gospel. I said, now it's really close. Guess again. She said, I don't know who was it. I said, it was me. And she started, <laughs> she put, she put about five emojis laughing. And I'll tell you why. Cause you know, a lot of times we think greatness has to come from somebody else. Right. right. And I happen to believe with who Jesus chose greatness can come from anyone. Right. You know, it's the will of God that we live a productive, powerful life. Mm-hmm. And uh, though I support the mega church and I do think they are folding heaven, I, I get it. I, I'm I love all of them. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love the small churches, too. Right. And I love those people that nobody has ever heard of because I I think God values the one, you know. Right. Right. And uh, I just happen to believe in personal one on one shepherding as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that we're called to do funerals. Mm-hmm. I think we're called to visit people in the hospital. I think we're called to take food to people's houses. Uh, I think we're called to go lay hands and pray for people in Tent City, which is a big homeless uh, that's taken over like three blocks in downtown Charlotte. I believe that we're called to get our hands dirty and not just expect other people to do it. Yeah. So I love working with Steel Creek Church of Charlotte, 
because they have a very high expectation for their pastors. We have one of our campuses, a mega church, uh, thousands. But every Sunday, uh, Pastor Kelvin, our lead pastor, will come off that stage and he'll shake hands and he'll pray and he will not leave that church till every person is prayed for. Wow. And I had a meeting with him one Sunday and I went up to the church and uh, I told the secretary I was here to meet with Pastor Kelvin. And she said, well, he's going to have to postpone because a homeless man came and needed to be prayed over. And he's in the lobby praying for him right now. Wow. So I love being a part of a church where the pastors are expected to get dirty and lay hands on people and being involved in the trenches mm. and not just from the stage. So not discounting what anybody else does, to be honest. I'm just glad that we do it the way we do it. I believe yeah. in it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's so much uh, that's rich about any church, no matter what size, oh, yeah. right? But but I do I do agree with you having a lot of friends that are pastors of churches of various sizes. I, I love them all. At the end of the day, oh, yeah. I, I, you know what I don't want to see us do is have border wars between our churches because that's that's the last thing that Scripture is about. I mean, it's we we should all we're we're all in this together, and uh, they're all one big team and. And that, that team requires different sizes, different people, and everybody has a different appetite for what um, what they're looking for in a church. I, you know, I mean, I, th I think it's almost yeah. like restaurants. You know, sometimes I want a little Mexican. Sometimes I want a burger at Applebee's or, or half these places are gone, but Fridays or, you know, uh, Red Round Robin or, you know, Red Robin, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, I, you know, there, there's there's one for everybody. It's just what you know, but not, not all of them are for everybody. So that find the one that fits you, find the, the pastor that, that you can connect with. And, you know, that that's where you should plant your roots. No, no, I got you. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I heard what you said. I heard what you said, and I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, man, if they're, if they're gospel preaching, they got my, my full support. They don't need right. my full support, but they got it, bro. I'll yep. fight with you all day long if you preach Jesus is the only way. Yep. That's what it all comes down to. Right. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. As someone that's listening to this, um, that heard your, again, I don't want to call it a resume, your life, your life story, the, 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 what you've signed your name to at the end of every day, where, where do I start? If I'm, if I'm just feeling it's 2021, I just started 2021. It's a new year. I'm setting new goals for myself. And, and one of my goals for this year, and I'm, I'm speaking for someone else, one of my goals this year is to just do something that I've never done before, whether it's, you know, any, any of the things on your list, or maybe, you know, start playing the piano, start singing songs, start something. What, what yeah. do you, what do you recommend? Because you've, you've done a lot in your life, you know, and some of us are just wired that way. Some, as I said, I'm the king of restless. So I'm always sure. on to the next thing, but sure. for somebody that's not built that way, God still intended us to live to not just exist, right? Yeah. So what, what's your recommendation for someone that may be hearing this that says, you know what, I want to do something crazy in 2021. I want to, I want to start something new, whether that's run a 5k, play the piano, play the guitar, play basketball, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just pulling stuff out of the air, start a yeah. podcast, you know, whatever it might be. What's your recommendation for that person? Where do they start? Well, uh, you know, honestly, and this sounds really churchy, so you'll have to forgive me. No. But uh, the Bible says that we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God, you know, and let our prayer life and let that that searching and that longing for the deeper journey with God. I believe that's really where it starts. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that you first have to know who God is. There has to be an understanding. If he created you, then you have to have a, a relationship and an understanding of that relationship for him to be able to use you productively. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. My testimony is this. Um, I grew up in a small town of Kannapolis, North Carolina, uh, which is the home of Dale Earnhardt, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Cotton Mill, Cannon Cotton Mill, mm -hmm. and uh, Gary's Barbecue and Whataburger with Cherry Lemon Sun Drops, right? Uh, old skating rinks and uh, little square blocks that are falling apart uh, in downtown Kannapolis. I, that's, that was my life. Um, I remember my first year of my 10th grade year uh, in high school, South Rowan High School in China Grove, North Carolina, right outside of Kannapolis. I walked into the classroom and there were holes drilled in the end of the desk and I asked somebody, I was like, man, what are those holes for? He was like, man, it's your spit cup. You can dip in class. 
<laughs> and so that was my that was my high school, right? Yeah. And so it's a really small town. And so I grew up in this small town. I, I went to a Pilgrim Holiness Wesleyan Church. Um, I, I had a, a personality that was probably a little more extroverted than most. I've always been a people person. I was a gifted athlete. I played baseball, basketball, football, race motorcycles. My dad owned the local Honda shop in Kannapolis. So I got free bikes off the showroom floor. When I tore one up, he'd wheel one back out. And so I was a ranked athlete and I had a lot of success as an athletic player. And, and I had understanding of scripture. I went to church and I knew what sin was and I prayed every so often. But, you know, the, honestly, man, I really can't think of anything that really inspired me to do anything great during those days. Mm -hmm. I just kind of lived life and had fun, you know? So when my parents got a divorce when I was 16 years old, I came home from like the second day of my 11th grade year. And my, my mother was passed out drunk on the kitchen table with an empty bottle of Crown Royal. Mm -hmm. And she had basically cried herself to sleep over a note that I think my dad had left that he was leaving me and my mom and, and uh, going to be with someone else in his life. And, uh, you know, not blaming anybody. They, they fought a lot, dude. My house, a lot of fighting in my house. Mm. And so um, my mom and my dad decided during that time where they were getting a divorce that they would send me to a private school. So I went to Oak Ridge Military Academy in Virginia. Didn't have really any sports. So I went from being a ranked athlete to wearing a little green uniform and waking up at 530 in the morning and saluting a flag and going to class. So by the way, that didn't work very well for me. <laughs> so I started drinking, started smoking a lot of weed, started, you know, pre, you know, having sex, lost my virginity and went and did my thing. I was chasing the world, you know, because there was nothing grounded in my life. Uh, that led to me quitting school. My mom said, you're not coming back home if you're not going to go to school. I said, I'm not going to school. My dad, I didn't really have a relationship there. So I went and moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and got a job at 17 years old and lived with some lifeguards in North Myrtle Beach and just got drunk and got high every single night. That's all I did, bro. Wow. Would wake up sometimes sleeping on the floor. It was just really bad. Till I drug overdosed in 1986, I think, 1987. Wow. And almost lost my life in a hospital in Conway, South Carolina. So the police, I had to check myself out, give them my information. They called my father, told him where I was. He came to North Myrtle Beach, found me basically homeless living on the street, asked me to come back told me I could have a job at the Honda shop and I could start racing bikes again. And he just encouraged me to go to church. He had given his life to Christ. He apologized for, you know, a lot of the things that had happened in our relationship. And I'm like, okay, I'll come back home, but I'm not going to church. I'm not going to get my education. I'm just going to come race bikes and I'll do my thing. So I came back and after being there a couple of months, um, I don't know if you know a lot about salesmen and people that work at motorcycle shops they party pretty hard yeah. so they shut down the honda shop one night they had kegs of beer they had mirrors full of cocaine and i just kind of got a slow motion replay of that man i'm like yeah i almost lost my life because of this stuff i think i'm just going to go home tonight so i jumped on my street bike at about three o'clock in the morning and i left charlotte hit i-85 started heading back to Kannapolis, and i ran out of gas at harris boulevard probably wouldn't mean anything to you but that's like a big exit that everybody kind of knows about in between charlotte in Concord and Kannapolis. I ran out of gas at like 3.30 in the morning. I took my helmet off and I'm like, man, I, I could be high as a kite right now. I just left the party with free drugs and free booze. And here I am, ran out of gas on the side of the road. So I kind of thumbed for a ride for about 30 minutes and a taxi cab picked me up about four o'clock in the morning, took me to get gas, got gas, came back, put gas in the bike, said a goodbye to the taxi cab. He drove off at about 4.15 in the morning and um, I left my keys in the taxi cab to my bike. Uh. I got on the motorcycle, tried to crank it up, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Took my helmet off, um, threw it down the road, said a few things I'm not going to repeat here. I'll ruin your <laughs> podcast rating. You'll have to go rated R. And uh, I tell you, man, God let me see a slow motion replay of my life, Aaron. Hmm. Um, drugs, I'd been locked up a couple of times for public drunkenness and resisting arrest. Um, I didn't really have a lot of friends. I had lost my virginity. Um I had tattoos, some later that my wife would get lasered off because she's like, my name's Amy. I don't know who Angie is, but she's coming off, right? <laughs> I'm like, I don't really remember who Angie was either. That's the bad thing, right? And so that's just kind of how I tell you, man, when you give your life to the enemy, he'll take you as deep as you want to go. Mm. And that was my life. That's what God let me see. 
but he also let me see this church background that I had in this really small church in Kannapolis that nobody's ever heard of, where I sat on the pew with my family and we just heard the gospel every Sunday. And uh, he let me see those youth meetings and he let me see those summer camps that my mom and dad made me go to in Colfax, North Carolina. And he made me remember my grandmother who had passed on, but she prayed for me, you know, every single day that God would impact my life, the godliest woman I've ever met in my life. Mm. And I prayed. I prayed for the first time in my life. And it was not one of those pharisaical spiritual prayers that they prayed on the corner, right? That Jesus said, that's not what it's about. It was a very humble prayer of, I am lost. I am tired of living. Mm. I don't believe in you. I don't feel your presence. I don't hear you. And I don't see you working in my life. And I feel very unloved. But if you will let me know tonight, God, that you love me, just let me know that you love me. I'll give my life to you and I will never, ever run away. Mm. Tomorrow is Sunday. I'm going to church. I will get baptized. It will mean something because I got baptized when I was 12. I didn't know why my mama said, everybody else is getting wet. Shut up and go get dunked and let's get this thing done. And so that was the depth of my spiritual journey, right? I said, God, if you will let me know that you love me and that you're real, I'll never question you Mm. and I'll give my life and I'll serve you. I am seeking your kingdom tonight. What do you got for me? And bro, this is chapter one of my book, Testify. When I opened my eyes, a navy blue Pontiac Firebird had pulled over while I was praying. I wasn't even hitching for a ride. 4.15 in the morning, by the way, nobody ever picks anybody up at Harris Boulevard at 4.15 in the morning. Right. I'm praying and a car pulled over, which I thought was interesting. So I walked up to the car, a little apprehensive to, to get close. He rolled down the window. I kind of peeked in. He turned on the inside light to the car and it was a black man in 1987, a black man picked a white kid up on the side of the road and looked right into my eyes and said, I don't know what led you to this place, but the Holy spirit spoke to me and told me to pick this young man up and tell him that I love him. And I got a plan for his life. He said, can I share the gospel with you? Wow. And there he was with an Afro. And here I was with the ugliest mullet you've ever seen in your life with five earrings and tattoos that my wife would later have me get lasered off. And we had nothing in common except the commonality of the love of Christ. Mm. And he preached the gospel to me and I got saved, bro. And I met my wife two weeks later on a blind date. It was that moment where I was seeking the kingdom of God in my life, Mm. willing to commit everything to him. That was the starting point. And I got to be honest, everything that has happened in my life for the past 33 years has come from that moment when I surrendered and I seeked the kingdom of God, when I was seeking the kingdom of God with everything I could. I gave up the world and I said, yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain, but I'm going to really understand what it means to live for Christ. Wow. And that was the starting point. Wow. And God had already geared me and gifted me to accomplish these things that he wanted me to gift, but it had to start with seeking the kingdom first. And so for anybody, I would encourage you, if you were created by God and everybody was, then you were created with a very unique, powerful set of gifts that can only be ignited when you seek first the kingdom of God and commit your whole life to him. That is the starting point. And then he takes care of everything else. And that sounds so churchy. And somebody's out there probably like, dude, he didn't answer anything that Aaron just asked him. (laughs) I'm not going to give you the points. I'm just going to say, if you seek God's kingdom first, he has put the kingdom in you and he'll bring it out of you in his timing. And it'll be powerful. It'll be powerful. I don't take any credit for anything that's happened in my life. It's all been that moment where I was seeking the kingdom of God first. That's, that's what it's about. hundred percent. I think it, I think it, 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 when you figure out your purpose, yeah. well, you know, it starts with what you just said. And you said it much better than I can even recap. No, it. No, no, no. Um, you know, that's where it starts is we got to have that conversation. We got to have that tough realization, you know, of where we are in our life. Um, if, sure. if anyone's listening to this and hasn't had that, that that's where I would oh, recommend yeah. you start. But then I think after that, it's all right. Well, God built me for a purpose. What is that purpose? And I think once you find that, then you're going to find life. You're going to find um, now. And that's what I was going to say. It may not be 
again, the resume, the, the, the bullet points that I have in front of me of what your life has been. It may right. not be what my life has been. It may take you 50 years to find the sweet spot in your life. You may go through jobs that you hate, but, but each one of those is teaching us something. And each one of those is taking us to that place, that pruning, that, that refinement of really what it is that we were built and born to do, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's, that's really, really powerful. It's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's my journey. And, you know, um, I'm doing a Bible study. If anybody would like to be a part of a Bible study every Wednesday night at seven 30, if you go to, uh, www.steelcreek.org and then click on watch and then click on midweek live. Or you could go to steelcreek.org forward slash watch and then just click on midweek live. I do a Bible study for all three of our campuses here in Charlotte. And I'm starting the book of Colossians tonight, tonight. Okay. Uh, chapter one. And verse one of chapter one, Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Wow. Which means it is God that gifts us. He calls us. He uses us according to his great purpose. Mm. You know, um, you know, Psalms 23 is a very powerful Psalm, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So you'll lie down or you'll lie down, right? One way or the other, the <laughs> Lord's going to make you lie down. <laughs> I lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me by paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what it's all about. Right. Everything that God wants to see come from our life is to bring glory and honor to his name. Right. And if you seek first the kingdom of God, and if you know that you're called to fulfill the will of God, like Paul says in Colossians 1, then I think you'll accomplish great things according to his purpose to bring glory to his name. That's why I say it's always a starting point, you know, to start with a full committed life to the kingdom work. And once you do that, I think every day God will open up a door. Mm-hmm. Might not see what happens, what's waiting for you Thursday, but God's already put it into place already today on Wednesday. He's already ready for you to step into that. But it first starts with seeking him and committing everything to him. And um, man, I believe great things can come from any life. And I know you believe that as well. 100%. 100%. So, and our, I know our, our time is running short and I want to be so respectful of your time because you were kind enough. No, no, you, no, you're good. I got, uh, no, no, you're good. I mean, listen, man unscripted right I mean, unscripted, you, go, right? you go as long as you want man i uh, as my wife says i could talk all day long i love to talk about the lord so the clemson, tigers, the clemson tigers are already out of it bro so not a lot to talk about there and the panthers were never in it here in charlotte that's so right let's talk about jesus that's what it's about well two things that i well three things let me let me tell you so a quick story i grew up at ichthus um, my, my family used to go every year, this is back in the day. So this is oh, back yeah, in the day yeah. day, but, yeah. uh, man, I remember Ichthus and one year we were there and it rained from, I don't know, what is that? Like a Thursday to Sunday, Saturday, Thursday to Sunday, Saturday. Yeah. It's, it's a long, if anybody that doesn't know, it's like a Woodstock, but it's a Christian music festival. And it's it, like, as you said, with Asbury or something like that. Asbury that Theological I, Seminary. Yeah. Yeah. So it's down there and you, you camp out and it's, it's, it's like Woodstock. I mean, you're out there just rocking and rolling and they got, bands all you know for for multiple i mean it's any like any other festival well the one year we went man it rained from the days before we got there till the day we left but uh every year you know they would bring out they would again you rock bands and I, it was like a, a dairy queen commercial for the a, a hot fudge sunday at one point like mud is just running <laughs> it was bad i mean it was yeah. mud everywhere everybody's caked in mud it was miserable it's raining but they did, uh, they always did, and this is a true story, I swear, I'm, I'm, I swear on my life, um, they, they did communion, and uh, they would always stop, and some, some pastor would come out, and he would, you know, do his thing, and then they'd hand out these little cups, and everybody would pop the cups, and it sounded like crickets, because it was just all these little cups popping, and every seven, but anyway, at the bottom, the bottom line was, that year, it stopped raining during communion, yeah. and I swear to you, a full rainbow went over the top of this huge stage, the main stage, wherever he's sitting there looking at this pastor and he's, oh, leaving, oh, oh, oh. I, I swear to you, I won't forget it. I was like an eighth no. grade. Yeah. Anyway, so that's community. The other thing I would tell you is Charlotte is, is, has a very special place in my heart in that we, we almost moved there as many that listen to this podcast know, and Chris probably told you, uh, we, we were within 
we actually went down there and put a bid on a house. We were moving to Charlotte and I used to fly through Charlotte because you can't connect anywhere. You can't go direct anywhere through Columbus. You got to connect through Atlanta or Charlotte or Detroit. And right. so I, I would, I would go through Detroit or, or I'm sorry, Charlotte on a regular basis. And every time we would bank, I felt called to Charlotte and I would look out that window and I would look over that city and I would pray over that city for the house and the neighborhood and the people that we would God would place us in whatever neighborhood it would be with whatever people it would be. And it's funny because I've never been able to connect that. And yet here I am sitting to someone who's in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've gotten to know people that are from North Carolina. And I think God answered that prayer. It just didn't look like what I thought it would. I thought we were going to move our family there and we, we weren't, and maybe, maybe someday he will. But for today, I tie that back to the fact that I've gotten to meet people like yourself and, and other people from Charlotte that have impacted my life um, in so many significant ways. It's amazing. So something forever will be very special for me in Charlotte. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful place. And I'll give you my rain story, not a rainbow, but Billy Graham's <laughs> last revival here in Charlotte was at the Panther Stadium, probably the only win that we've had since it was built. <laughs> and uh, however, I'll never forget Michael W. Smith mm-hmm. and Toby Mack. Absolutely. There. Right. And my wife and I went and it was pouring down rain, bro. I mean, from the time it started at Michael W. Smith was soaking wet. Toby Mack was soaking wet. It was a gusher. Mm. And I will never forget Billy Graham got introduced and it quit raining. Right. <laughs> I'm serious. And I looked at my wife and everybody in the crowd was like, oh, and I'm like, Billy, oh, Billy, yeah. it quit raining. Yeah. And then he did his altar call. And mm. I'll never forget what he said. If it's on tape, I encourage anybody to go find it. You'll hear him say it. He said, you don't worry about the rain. It's not going to rain another drop until God's done here tonight. Mm. And he prayed over all those people at the altar. And the moment he walked off stage, it started pouring again. And I looked around and everybody was like, Billy, Billy, (laughs) Billy, you know. And then Channel 9 News did a story on it. Mm. And the the weatherman showed the radar, bro, I am not, this is what you're saying. You're like, I swear I'm not lying. I'm telling you. Yeah. There was a radar picture over the Panther stadium and there was a hole (laughs) over that stadium when he was preaching. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. But you know, you're like, okay, if if God can part the Red Sea, he can stop some raindrops in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he can do anything else he wants to do. Right. Anybody else that's listening right now. Right. And so there's no other life that I would rather live, bro. Hmm. There's no other life that I would rather live. And I love, I love all this has been so good. And I, I want to, I don't want to end on a negative, but I do want to touch on something because I think there's people that, that maybe have come to faith or will come to faith and that are hearing this and in their life, they're going to say, you know what, these stories are really cool, but man, my life's been really hard. I I accepted Christ, you know, last year, six months ago, 10 years ago, whatever it might be. And my life has not been anything like you guys are saying. I didn't win a NASCAR race. I didn't, I didn't go win a motorcycle race. I didn't see a rainbow at Ichthus. Um, they're, they're still in that season of, so what do you say to that person that is either one has been a person of faith and they've struggled in that, that season that we've all been in. And that's, I think what I want people to understand is you and I've talked about a lot of really exciting and, and, and God doing some amazing things, but we've all been in a season where, where, he was silent. So, or if someone is yet to come to faith and they're listening to this and they say, you know what, that all sounds good, but man, that sounds too good to be true. What do you say to, to that person? Because we all know that there's going to be seasons of, of quiet and there's going to be seasons of struggle. What, yeah. what do you say to that person? Well, the, 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 the short answer is Paul says to live as Christ, which is what we're all looking for. Mm-hmm. But he said to die is gain. And that's the tough part. Mm-hmm. right right and uh, so that's the play i mean it's my wife was telling asking me this very question because she's taking care of these covid people and mm-hmm. they're literally having to say goodbye to their family on a on a on a laptop oh and uh and it's just heartbreaking and right. and i said honey for people that know christ 
that's the greatest moment. But that's the church answer, right, bro? I mean, that's the right. that's the answer that pastors right. give. And people are like, if you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the face. I don't <laughs> right. want to hear that stuff anymore. Right. Right. So I'm going to give you another story. And so this is a very embarrassing thing for me. And I'm going to open up my embarrassment to everybody that's going to watch your station, okay? Right. If you go to YouTube and you type in Christian Chapman, Baja 1000, you're going to see me on my Baja 650 racing bike decked out. You're going to see maybe the wild world sports cameras on me, helicopters above, you know, flying, watching me start in Ensenada, Mexico. We race from Ensenada all the way to the Sea of Cortez at La Paz. And I had the first 250 miles because I was the old guy. I was in my mid 40s, I think, when I did that race early 43, 44, something like that. And uh, the guy I was on a team of four guys. Two of those guys were professional racers from California. They were very good. One of them had won it. Rob Barnum had won that race. And he said, I'm going to let you take the first 250 miles because you're not going to be doing anything stupid. Hmm. You're going you're gonna to race and you're going to be wise because if you wreck and tear the bike up, we're done. None yeah. of us get the ride if you don't fulfill those 250 miles. He said, please do me a favor. I said, what? He said, don't ride any willies, please. Don't show off. Don't do anything stupid. There's going to be thousands of people lining the streets, cheering you on, air horns going off, people waving uh, Mexican flags. Don't get caught up in that moment. Helicopters, cameras, be wise. Don't go fast. Don't ride willies. There's potholes. There's swoops in the road. It's not a very healthy looking road. You haven't rode in a long time, Christian. Just be wise. Wow. So if you go to that video, Christian Chapman, Baja 1000, you're going to see me start. And the first thing I do coming off the line is ride a willy. <laughs> I turn the corner. I ride a willy. I'm going about 100 miles an hour down through that drainage ditch. I jump through the Red Bull jump. Uh, I get back up on the street. I'm riding another willy. And I lose control. And I crash. Mm. That was the crash that broke my hand, broke my arm, cracked my ribs, put a big dent in my helmet and knocked me unconscious. And all these guys came running up to me. I told you one of them offered me some Jose Cuervo. Right. You could hear me having a conversation with them. They were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I broke my arm. And they're like trying to push my bike off. And I said, no, 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 I have to finish the race. I got people waiting for me. I cannot stop. I got to go. Mm. So I got back on the bike and you can hear them all cheering me as I ride. I couldn't go as fast because I was hurting. I was in pain. And, um, I remember when the race was over, Rob Barnum and Dave Martinez, the two professional riders, called me and said, hey, man, where are you at? I said, well, I just crossed the border and I'm driving back to Charlotte at my wife's command. Um, I said, I really made a fool of myself. I did exactly what you guys told me not to do. I rode a willy. You guys probably won't ever ask me to race again. They said, no, 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 no. You're going to be the first one we asked to race. Because what makes you a Baja racer is not that you go fast, it's that you finish what you start. Right. Because most people that start that race give up and don't finish. Mm -hmm. They said, bro, you rode five hours with a broke hand, broke arm, cracked ribs, knocked unconscious, GPS unit broke, lost in the desert, figuring your way. He said, we have nothing but respect for you. Wow. And those two guys today are followers of Christ because of the relationship that was built, not with my talent, but with my failure. Mm. And I know for a fact that God used that failure in my life because the very next year was my best year as a speaking evangelist. And you know what my message title was? Finish the race for Christ. Race, yeah. And I showed that video of my failure that led other people to believe that even in our failures, God can use us for moments of greatness. Right. Right. He let me fail so I would pick myself up and finish the race because I believe it's our failures and our moments where we want to give up if we will continue to run the good race for Christ. Mm -hmm. I believe that we will have a peace that goes beyond understanding and God will use us in powerful ways. So to anybody that would say it's not what I signed up for, don't give up because I'm telling you, God can use your moments of sickness, failure and weakness way more than he can when you're boasted up in all the good times of prosperity right. because God's greatness comes out in your time of weakness. But right. if your greatness is coming out 
how can people see God's greatness? So yeah. that would be the encouragement. Watch the video. Enjoy my pain and my lack of talent. <laughs> I share that only to try to encourage people to get up and finish what God has called you to start. Don't ever give up. And I think I love I love what you said in there, and that is that you had you you had to finish the race, and there were people waiting on you, and yeah. and that man those two things that that drives me every day as a dad. Uh, I remember a friend of mine passed away from cancer about ten years ago, and I remember at one point he said, "Man, you got to take care of yourself. There's people counting on you," and I'll never forget that. Like like there's people counting on us, and there's people waiting on us at that finish line. And we yeah, owe yeah. it. We owe it to the saints before us, like my mom and and people that that came before us, that invested and poured into us, that have since gone on now and are, are where we want to be. They're at that finish line. Yeah, um, yeah. We're going to get beat up, man. We're going to fall off the motorcycle. We're going to, you know, we're going to reject what people tell us. <laughs> I, I love that. That what, what a great analogy that was. Um, so and you, so you yeah. gave me one, the video, uh, and all this will be in the post when I when I put this, sure. this up. Uh, so I make sure I go pull that from YouTube. So it should be in this blog post for anybody that, that wants to see it. What other links do we have? Uh, you, you've got books, you've got music, you've got a website. My website, my, my website is uh, christianchapman.org. Okay. Christian Chapman with a P, C-H-A-P-M-A-N, uh, christianchapman.org. Um, I got a new site. I think my guy is going to have it up and running tonight. He rebuilt it. Okay. Uh, so it should be running tonight. So when you post this, it should be up and running, christianchapman.org. And all my information, uh, if you would ever like to bring me out to speak, if anybody would like to bring me out to speak, I still have an evangelical heart. I love to get out and share the gospel. I love being a pastor and planting churches and loving the people that God has called me to shepherd here in Charlotte. But I also love to get out and meet new people and uh, share the gospel and, and, and just get on a plane and stay in a hotel room and meet some new people and just share the gospel and watch the altar come to a place of being, you know, filled. I, I love I love that. I love what God is doing in that area in my life as well. So anybody can sign up for me to come and speak on that website. My music, if you go to Alexa or if you have Google, I think it's on Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, Christian Chapman, A Memory of You. Uh -uh. Christian Chapman, I'm Still in Love with You, which is actually a conversation between a husband and wife who have been through pain and they're still they're singing the song to each other hmm. about staying in love and never giving up. And my other song that I have on there is called I'm Alive. And that song is right out of scripture from Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It's wow. a great Easter song. Wow. So they're the three songs that I'm very proud of and five more to come at some point. So awesome. I'm excited. And steelcreek.org. Uh, my campus is Berwick campus, but steelcreek.org is the church that I am affiliated with. I love them. They're doing great things for people here in the city of Charlotte. And uh, man, I, anybody that watches this, God loves you. Um, he's got a great plan for your life. Um, you know, one, one final story, if you don't mind, nope. if you got a second, nope. just one final story. Nope. Uh, one of the first places I went and spoke, um, I went to Fayetteville Christian school in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And it was a big school, 1200, 1500 students. It was a really good opportunity for me as an evangelist to, you know, kind of get my name out and talk and, and, and do a great job because you going out to speak has everything to do with how you do when you speak, right? right. If you fail, people are not going to bring you out right. so you can fail at their church, right? So it has a lot to do with how God uses you in that moment. So I had a great sermon. Well, I had a 45-minute humdinger. I get there. I'm, I'm backstage, and I hear the band playing, and um, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, you're not going to speak. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Lord? I start praying, readjusting my antenna. That can't be you, God. What do you mean? You brought me here to speak. And he said, no, I brought you here to do an altar call. The band has already prepared them to get saved. Wow. The only reason I brought you is to get out and open the altar and pray for those that would respond to the gospel that the worship team just sang about. Wow. And I'm like, God, I am never going to get a chance to speak ever again. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, you're not going to ever speak again if you blow this. <laughs> so listen to me and do what I ask you to do. So right. none of it made sense to me, bro. Not a yeah. single thing made sense. Yeah. But I went out and I did it. I said, look, I, I can't even apologize because I heard clearly from the Lord. I said, so to the faculty and staff and to the principal, I love all of you. Thank you for bringing me here. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that the worship team has already prepared the hearts of these teenagers to give their life to Christ. You know, if you're lost today, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm only here to pray for you and to love you in that moment. Who would like to get saved? 
And I'm telling you, bro, over 400, 500 kids came down and gave their life to Christ. Wow. So radically that some of them had to be carried out of the gym. They were weeping so hard. I've never wow. seen anything like it in my life. And I was going to preach John 21. And so I'm driving home and I'm a little bit frustrated. I called my wife. I said, baby, I got good news and I got bad news. She said, what's the good news? I said, like 400 kids got saved. Yeah. She said, what's the bad news? I said, God don't need me. <laughs> and he don't need me. She right. said, what are you talking about? I said, all I did was get out and give an altar call. I said, I, I, I don't, I was going to preach John 21. I had an incredible sermon about John 21, them casting the net on the right-hand side of the boat and then bringing all their fish and Jesus cooking on the grill and talking about Peter, do you love me? I, I had it ready to go. And, and I said, I found out today that God doesn't need me. Hmm. And my wife, I'll never forget what she said. This is why my wife's been a great helper to me. She said, right. yeah, I don't need you either. <laughs> so what do you, I said, girlfriend, I don't need that. I need to be encouraged right now. She said, no, Christian. She said the very passage that you preached when they brought all the fish that they caught yep. and they brought them to Jesus. What does scripture say? I said, well, it says in scripture that he already had fish on the grill. Right. And she said, you know what that means? I said, Jesus didn't need them either. No, Jesus didn't need them. But notice that he asked them to bring some of their fish. She said, Jesus doesn't need you, but he wants you. Mm. She said, I don't need you, but I want you. And she said, there's no greater love than to be wanted. To be needed is not being loved. Right. To be wanted is what true love is all about. Right. And I pulled over because I was weeping so hard. One of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned in my life, Aaron. So to anybody that's watching, I end with this. God loves you and he wants you. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is let him have you. Mm -hmm. And if you do, he will use you in a great way to bring honor and glory and praise to his name. Wow. That's my final word, bro. Yeah. Well, man, I don't know how else to end it. Uh, that is the best way possible. Yeah, amen. Outside. Yeah. Amen. amen. And, and, and outside of just saying, thank you. This is, um, this has been life giving for me, uh, which has been the beauty of unscripted from day one is um, I have the the absolute honor of having people like yourself on and and through a network like Chris that would connect, you know, you and I um, that just pours into me. I, I don't know how many people will ever hear this, see it, watch it, share it. I, I don't know. Um, but what and I trust God for where all that happens. It's just it's like you said, I, he doesn't need me to do a podcast. But yeah. what he does need me to do is be available and be um, be willing and, um, you know, and, and, and because of that, I get to be fed myself with, with what you just said. So this has been such a life-giving time for me. Um, and, and I know God's going to do amazing things with it. I'm, I'm just so honored, man. This has been wonderful. No, I, I'm honored as well, bro. I told the Lord years ago when I got saved, I would never say no to an opportunity. Yep. And for the last 30 years, 28 years, I have not. So I'm yep. very proud. I've kept my word. Uh, and he's always kept his word to me. Yeah. So. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. I love you, man. I love, I love you. you, and I love your audience, and uh, certainly love Chris Maston. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a good man, and uh, I was very blessed many years ago sitting behind him in, I think, a psychology class um, when we met. And, um, you know, if there's nothing else that came out of my time in Mount Vernon, I got to meet Chris Maston and uh, have a forever friend and brother. No yeah, doubt. he was on the reality racing show with me he Was and, and asked Chris why they call me the faster pastor. He knows why. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will do that, man. God bless you. Happy yeah, God bless you. Uh, I hope to get down to Charlotte soon and, uh, and, and make call me. I'll take you out to eat. I told Let's me. Do Let's do it. God yeah. bless you, man. Thank you so much, Christian. I All really right, appreciate your time, brother. All right. Take care.